0: within the Genesis study verse by verse. This is all about Abram, or the adventures of Abraham is what I've called this, because chapters 12 through 25 of Genesis are all about Abraham. And Abraham is very important to us. We need to understand him. I hope that if you've never studied him before, if you've never really invested in this study of, of uh, this man, Abraham, you will really get it. Tonight we're going to get The covenant, this is the most important covenant in the Bible. I'm going to help you understand why it's so important for you as a Christian to understand God's covenant, his eternal covenant with Abram, or Abram in our case, he's still Abram, his name hasn't been changed. It's going to get changed here pretty quick. To Abraham, Abraham and his son Isaac, and then there 's Jacob, and on down this this promise continues even today, this covenant that God made. So the exciting thing about tonight 's study is we 're going to see how the covenant 's made, very formal, very important, an ancient covenant between two people we 're going to see how it 's made tonight in our study. So Genesis chapter fifteen we 'll study seven verse seven through twenty one let 's ask god 's blessing in our study, Father. We are so grateful that we can celebrate Christmas. Really, Lord, we do it for about a month every year, but it's every day for us. The fact that you sent your son is what our life makes our lives uh, new, fresh, meaningful, regenerate, born again. Lord, it's salvation. And every day, Lord, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I, I pray, Lord, that as believers, we would... Have the joy of the Lord to share with those that, that are all about just gifts and all about just the world and the flesh. And that we as Christians, Lord, can show them so much more in Christ. The greatest gift anyone can receive is the gift of Jesus Christ. And so I pray this Christmas, Lord, that our church will celebrate. Uh, I pray that you would anoint the messages, Lord, that I share in the coming weeks that are, are the play that we even have, Lord, would just glorify You, Lord, as Bill, Pastor Bill, shares with us next week. And tonight we just turn our attention to your word. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. Help us understand this covenant and how important it is. Abram, this man that that lived by faith and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And as we believe in Jesus Christ, it's accounted to us as righteousness. Help us to understand it all. Teach us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Already, this is the most important covenant in the Bible, and I think we just lost something, or what happened? We good? We're all right? Okay. Maybe it was my ears. I'm having trouble with my ears tonight, so. Is it off? Okay. Something happened there, bro. Is it me? <laughs> Hello? Check, check, check. Jump in there. Oh, there go. So you're... Maybe maybe leave the buttons alone for just a minute. And he's really trying. He's doing a great job trying to fix something there. So thank you for doing that. Okay, so we're getting back to this covenant here. the The Jewish faith is is built around really covenants that God makes. He's made with His people. This is the first and foremost covenant that we're going to look at tonight. And you'll know this covenant because it's really God's eternal, forever covenant with His people. with He promises it to Abraham, but it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to all the Jewish people, and then to us as well, because through the Jewish people comes one person, the most important person in the world. He's going to be born. We're going to celebrate his birth real soon here. Who's that? Jesus. He was a Jew. He came through the Jewish. This is the promise that's going to take care of back in Genesis 3, the problem of sin. This is the promise it's going to, he's going to come through these Jewish people. That's why this is so important for you to understand. So this is God's covenant with Abram. That's what I've entitled this study. Now, let me just really quickly. If you're coming here on Sunday morning, you were at our study last week when we studied assurance. That doctrine is so important for you to understand. This, the, the, the doctrine of assurance of the believer. We were looking at chapter um, two of First John in the New Testament. And we read this verse that says, by this we know that we come to know him, Jesus, because once you come to know him and you obey his commandments, you walk in the light, and that assures you day by day that you're saved. The light just shows you that, you're, that when you do something wrong, you know you're saved because you want to obey the commandments. So this life of assurance that we know. Now, we come to this story tonight, Abram, he is Fearful, if you remember last week, the very beginning. He is scared out of his gourd. And the reason is, is he's just kicked somebody's fanny, Ketaloramir. He's beaten Ketaloramir and these other five kings that represent a lot more people than just the 300 uh, people that he's, or 280 people he's assembled to, to go rescue Lot and Lot's stuff. And he's afraid that Ketaloramir is going to come back and finish him off. He's in fear. That's how this chapter, chapter 15, begins. Look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Don't fear, Abram. Abram's shaking his boots. He says, I'm your shield. I'm your reward. And it will be very great. And then Abram kind of like, well, gee, Lord, where is my reward? You promised me children and I don't have any. So, So Abram kind of asks this question. It's a valid question, really. And he says, all I have is this one guy, Eliezer, he's, he's like my right-hand man. He's going to get my whole inheritance because I don't have any children. And Abram said, verse 3, since thou hast given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Now, again, Abraham here is not necessarily disbelieving God. And is probably, he's just asking, how is this going to work, Lord? You, you promised me. I, I've got a lot of fear now, and, and it's been quenched because you've just said, not to be fearful. You're, I, I, I've got a reward in you and, and you're my shield. I, I understand that. But I don't have any kids. I, I, what are you doing? I, I don't really understand. So God gives him these th- words for assurance. Throughout the Bible, God comes to his people and gives them assurance. Why? Because we're sheep. And any little thing can uh, bring fear into our hearts. If you lived in in Tennessee tonight, you'd be afraid of the fires, right? If you live... In our hills, you know, back in, I think it was 07, we had a big fire here. In 03, we had a big fire here burning up the side of the mountain. It Brings fear. Earthquakes. You go, oh. you know, it brings fear. We're sheep. We get fear. And and anxious, and God comes to us and and assures us, for you and I as believers, we have the promises of God that go on and on and on and on. We can look back at all of the patriarchs in the Old Testament and how God worked in their lives and brought them to a place of, of confidence again. We can look back at that. Those are the promises he's left. Well, Abram's in fear. He doesn't have a lot of promises. He's learning. He's growing, remember. He's growing in all of these areas of his life. So God gives him these two specific promises that make up this covenant. And just real quick, just to go over, let's, the first one is the promise of a son, verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. This Eliezer, he's not your heir. Then he says this, But one who will come from your own body will be your heir. And then, verse five, he will be brought he, then God brought him outside. He said, "Look in the heavens, count the stars. Can you number them And can you just imagine abram in that that with that question? He said, "So shall your descendants be you're going to have you're, don't worry about kids you're gonna have you're going to have like kids that new, numer, as numerous as the stars or dust. He already told him, as much as there is dust on the earth you 're going to have these descendants in your life." So God gives him a direct promise for a son, coming from His own body, and again a huge nation of people, too great to number. It's it's kind of interesting when you go in the Middle East, and I've been there in the middle of the night, out in the desert where there's no uh, light, no city lights. It's said that you can see like maybe eight thousand stars if you stayed up all night and counted them. You know, you some people you know with younger eyes you probably see ten thousand stars. My eyes maybe six. But, but there are a lot of stars out there, and, and astronomers tell us that there's some 100 billion stars that they can possibly identify with all their different uh, telescopes and all their equipment. But really, nobody knows how many stars there are. And this is precisely God's point to Abram. Can you number the stars? And Abram's probably going, there's no way, no way. This is, so it's a miracle. God is saying, I do miracle. I'm a miracle-working God. I'm a sovereign God. I'm a powerful God, Abram. Don't doubt me. Look into the stars and, and see how many there are, and that's going to be the number of your descendants. Quite a promise for a man that's 85 years old. Now, it's kind of the prime of his life, but still, he's, he's an older man. He's got a wife. She's as old as he is. They've got no children. So that's a promise that that God has given him. Now, Abram is the father of faith. He's the father of the Jews, but he's the father of faith because in verse 6, notice, he believed the Lord. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. That it was at that point in Abram's life that he believed. Up until that point, he was kind of following God. God told him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go here with the land I'll show you. And he did. it. He's just going where the Lord leads. But he's not really walking by faith because he fearfully leaves uh, Canaan. And he goes down to Egypt during the famine, remember. And he's doing things that aren't really proving that he's believed God. But now, now, verse 6, he's believed God. This is where our New Testament faith comes in. Because, in the same way, we put our faith in Christ, Abram's putting his faith in God in the future Son, we put our faith in the Son that's already come, Jesus Christ. We believe. And when you believe, God does all these wonderful things to you. He regenerates you. He takes you out of Adam. He takes you out of darkness. He, I mean, it's just—it's—it's a beautiful thing that God does to, to you. And it's all sovereign. It's all him. You don't earn your salvation. You don't deserve your salvation. You don't keep it. God does it all. When you believe, that's what it says here. He believed the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. People have called this verse in the Old Testament the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. And you can see why. Because John 3.16 clearly is the verse that tells us that we have to believe. God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Believes in him. You don't have to work. You can't go to church enough. You can't pray hard enough. You have to believe in Jesus. And when you do, when you truly believe in Jesus... Not just think esoterically about a God, his name is Jesus, he was on the cross. No. But believe that Jesus is the son of God. Believe that Jesus came and died for our sins. and you believe that? That's when it's accounted to you as righteousness. God imputes or places righteousness upon the believer. Not the non-believer, but the believer. That's why Abram is the father of our faith. He's seen that way as the father of our faith. And when he believed this it's a really interesting word. The the word believe in Hebrew is amen. Amen. Does that sound like any word you've ever heard before? Amen. When we say amen we believe that we're saying we agree. And that's what it means. He said amen to God. He he said just like Harmatia to say the same thing that God says about sin, you say the same thing, and I'm just a sinner. and When you do that, that's believing. It's, it's very interesting. When you put all these things together, you understand that Abram was putting his faith in God, his entire weight. I believe you, God. Amen is the Hebrew word. So after Abraham believed God, accounted it to him as righteousness. He credited, he accounted or credited Abram's life. It's a banking term. It means God put in his account righteousness. He didn't have it. If I was to ask you tonight if you have righteousness, the correct answer would be, I have no righteousness in myself. I'm like Paul. My righteous acts are as filthy, what? Rags. I'm nothing. But the other side of that answer is, I have the righteousness of Christ. It's been placed on me. It's, it's been credited to my account. So, beautiful, beautiful truth that's been taught us here. And the result of righteousness is perfection. That's what God requires perfection to know Him. There's only one way to know God, and you have to be perfect. How can anybody be perfect? Through this imputation, this work of God, sovereign God, that He places righteousness on you and I, the believer when we put our faith in Christ. So that happened to Abraham, that happens to you and I today. Romans 4 confirms that truth. In Romans 4, 3, look at this verse here. Paul says in Romans 4, he says, "Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So salvation by faith in God is not new. It's not a new truth in the New Testament. This is the way God is all, God is the God of always. ways. He, he doesn't change the way he treats people. He's no, he doesn't treat people any different now. The, the main difference now is that we have the third person, the Holy Spirit, living in us. Where in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a king and leave a king. Come upon a person and leave that person. We have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When God, Jesus said, I gotta go, because I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and he's always gonna be with you, and he's gonna lead you and guide you in all truth. Remember in Acts And so he's he's out of here. He goes, I'm out of here because you're going to get the comforter. He's going to bring peace and comfort and direct you and guide you. What a great truth that is. So all these things really tie together. I hope you understand that way. God's way of saving man is no different than it was in the Old Testament. And we see it all the way back in the book of Genesis, all the way back with this patriarch, Abraham, this great man of faith. The second promise that he gets is in verse 7. It's a promise for land. That's where we're going to spend our time tonight, the promise of land. Look at verse 7. Then God said to him, I am the Lord, Yahweh, who brought you out of Ur, out of the Chaldees, to give you this land to inherit. Now, this is really important. God gives a title to himself. He says, I am. I love this. I am the Lord. That that I am statement there, we see him throughout the Bible, but it's very, very important. It really is defining a name of God. But in this way, it's not defining a a specific name. I'm going to show you some specific names of God. But this is I am. You and I have a God. We see him as Jesus Christ, who who is the Word made flesh, who is God in the flesh, if you see Jesus and the way he acts, his character, his words, his kindness, his grace, his forgiveness, then you know the Father. But God the Father, I am. I am. What what do you need tonight? You need help? I am your help. What do you need tonight? I need finances. He's your provider. What do you need tonight? I, I need a physical touch or healing. He's, he's that, too. He can be whatever you need. That's the wonderful thing about God. God is all-powerful, omniscient. He's able. But let me give you a couple of these names in Scripture. I've got a, a slide here. I just want to mention the ones that are in the book of Genesis really quick here. We have his name as Elohim. That is in Genesis 1, verse 1. Elohim, else is, is the word that refers to God. You'll see L in other places, but Elohim, it's used two hundred fifty or twenty five hundred times in the Bible. And then you have Yahweh or Lord. When you ever when you look in this passage, even tonight, you'll see capital L, capital or, O, capital R, capital D. That is, in English, what the Jews would never say out loud. They, they Yahweh is the word they used. They took out the consonants, y, uh, Y-H-W-Y or whatever, Yahweh. And that name, the Jews would never speak publicly because it was holy. They wouldn't say the word, but it's given to us, Yahweh, it's in Genesis 2, verse 4, used 6,500 times in the Bible. It means master, and it's spelled Y H W H, Yahweh. And then there's another name for God, El El Yon. That's in Genesis 14, 18. We've come to that one a few weeks ago. El El Yon means the most high. So here you have the, remember, Elohim, El. So God, um, El El Yon, most high, God of the most high. Genesis 14, 18. Then you have Adonai. That means Lord or Master. Genesis 15, 2. Remember the song we sing? You know, he is king of kings, lord of lords. And you women sing that little phrase that goes, he is, he's the great I am. He's the, I don't know, I, because I'm not a woman, I don't sing those words. But you've sung it before, ladies. You know what it is. You're singing the different names of God. All of these names reveal the character and nature of God in the Old Testament. Here's another one, El Shaddai. That's God Almighty, El Shaddai. That's Genesis 17, 1. Then we have El Olam. That's the everlasting God, Genesis 21, verse 33. And then Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. You've heard that one, Jehovah. There's a lot of Jehovah, Nisseh, Jehovah, Rapha, Jehovah. Um, there's a whole bunch of those. I, I just wanted to show you a few of the names of God. They, they clearly reveal character of God. Going to this name that he calls himself here in verse 7, God says, I am Yahweh. I am. God's proclaiming to Abraham here. And he's proclaiming that to you tonight, that God is whatever you need him to be in your life. God is. He has the power. He has the ability. You've got to look to the Lord, people. As Christians, we must always look to the Lord, not to the bank account, not to the work environment, not to our neighbor next door, not to our husband, not to our wife, we need to look to the Lord. He can answer. He can provide all of our needs. And I love the title, I am. Again, he's whatever we need, our strength, our courage, our health. He's our hope. He's our deliverer. He's our forgiveness, our joy, our future. God is, is, he's the great I am. So God is saying, I am whatever you need, whenever you need it. I love that. And that's what he says to Abram here, he says, I am Yahweh. So when he tells him that in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of the uh, Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. That's God's reminder to Abram that he already said, I'm going to give you progeny or offspring, a son, and I'm also going to give you land. He's reminding him again right here in Genesis 15 and Abram asks a question. Look at the question verse 8. Says, this is a good question. Lord, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And so God's going to confirm this covenant now. This is where it gets really interesting. I love this section. My next point, God confirms his covenant. Look at verse 9. So God says to Abram, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, Turtle dove, young pigeon, and Abram brought all of these. It's like a, sh- a weird shopping list here. And cut them in two, God tells him, down the middle. Place each piece opposite the other, but he didn't cut the birds in two. Too small. Interesting. Bloody. These animals had to die and they were cut in two. Now, it kind of sounds like a weird shopping list for a witch doctor, and you're wondering, what, what, what is God asking for? But basically, God is making an agreement. This is an ancient, formal agreement. Now we have escrow. We all sign endless you know, initials and, and documents to buy a house, right? If you've ever done that before. It's, it's like page after page after page after page. You sign, you sign, you sign. We have formal agreements that are written agreements. They didn't have that then. And God has this ancient agreement he's going to make between two different parties. And this agreement goes on and on. We read about it in different places of scriptures. Here's one of them, Jeremiah 34, verse 18. Notice this one. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two. And they walked or passed between the parts of it. So here's the same covenant in a different place in the scripture, cutting an animal in two, walking together between it. What's being described here is that this, again, this covenant, this agreement in this formal ceremony here, where it's called cutting the covenant. that's what it's called. Two people would bring these animals for sacrifice. They would agree out loud. They'd say, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to buy this property. It's now going to be mine. We're going to be in agreement. We're not going to be at war anymore. We, we're we agreed together. We're not going to be at war. We're telling everybody out loud. Then they would cut the animals in half, and then they would walk through the middle of it signifying if you break your part of the agreement, you're going to end up just like this animal and cut in half. That, this was a life and death agreement. Well, there, you know, escrow certainly isn't a life and death agreement, but this one really was. Two people walking side by side, agreeing together. Covenants are important. You know that marriage is a covenant. The covenant God sees marriage very, very serious. And for those that go even thinking about divorce as Christian, you are so out of bounds and so wrong. Now, I believe there's some in this room that maybe have gone through that, and and if you If you did that before Christ, that's one thing. But doing it as a Christian, that's an entirely different thing. And pastors speak out about that. And pastors should speak out about that. If that's something that you've got, now God can forgive. There's absolutely no doubt that God can forgive. But God hates divorce. You can read about it uh, in the Old Testament. And it's a covenant. God takes covenants very, very, very seriously. I don't think we take them as seriously. But here's a real important covenant. It's a symbolic covenant. It's a joint agreement between two. As they cut the animal in half, the animal dies, blood is shed, and they walk between it. And if either party disregards and becomes a violator of that agreement, they're going to suffer the same fate as the animal. That's the... The truth here. So when Abraham is in fear at the very beginning of the story and asking God, how are you going to fulfill this? What are you going to do? This is what God does. He says, here it is. This is a covenant. I'm going to make this covenant. This is an everlasting covenant. It's a forever covenant. And it's so important that these animals are going to die and we're going to walk between and agree together on this. So this covenant is very important. Now, While the covenant is being explained to Abram, he falls asleep. Look what happens. Verse 11. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So he's killed these animals, and they're drawing bugs and flies and birds. And he is waiting for God. He's just waiting. Okay, okay, God, when are you going to show up so we can walk between these animals? Verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold... Horror and great darkness fell on him. So he's, he is freaking out. He's, he's cold sweating in a dream right now. And the, the Lord is really interesting. That God doesn't show up here. The vultures show up, but God doesn't show up. What God does is cause Abram to fall asleep, and he goes through this horror and darkness uh, thing here. Could be, I, we can't be, you know, dog, I can't be dogmatic, but I do believe Whenever someone comes face to face with God, all they can care, all they care about is fear. It's you can't stand before a holy God. None of us can. Moses couldn't stand before a holy God, couldn't even look at God. God says, I'm going to shield you from my glory. Remember, God put his hand over his glory so it wouldn't wipe Moses out. We, we can't stand before a holy God. That's what I think this is revealing here, this horror and great darkness, because Abram's aware of God's presence. He's dreaming, but he's really face-to-face with God in this dream. So God's covenant with Abram becomes one-sided in this regard. God is going to walk through these animals, and Abram's not going to walk with him. Man is going to break the covenant. God's not going to allow that to happen. So God is going to make this covenant. That's how serious this covenant is, and God does it. Uh, Very interesting because they're not equal. They're they're not two equal people making a covenant like a marriage or like um, agreeing on buying property or something in this ancient world. They're doing something. God is doing something entirely different, and man would fail at that. So God doesn't walk with Abraham here. But notice what God tells him, verse 13. Then he said to Abram, Know for certain, he said, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, that's the people of the land, and he's referring to Canaan, and the people there will afflict them for 400 years. Now he's referring to Egypt, so they're going to be in Canaan, then they're going to be taken captive and they're going to go to Egypt for 400 years. Now this is prophecy, obviously, we understand What's happening? Verse fourteen, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. So I'm going to judge the Egyptians. Now we know that to be true, right? We're going to read that story. That's coming in the future. But, but in this dream, God is revealing more to him. He's going to say, you know what? Your your, your people, your offspring, they're not always going to be obedient to me, and they're going to go. They're going to be enslaved by the Egyptians, and they're going to be treated poorly. God is revealing these things to them, but but God, I'm going to judge the nation. I'm going to take care of the nations for you, and they will come out with great possessions. Now, again, God is revealing what will happen to Abram's children over the next 400 years because, as you know, they're going to go back to Canaan, um, they're going to be, it's just a mess. Again, we're going to study all that. It's going to be really fun. That's, the, the, that's why I'm calling this series Adventures with Abraham because we're going to see much more. But notice here, God tells Abraham his fate in verse 15, now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. So you're going to die. You shall be buried at a good old age. So you're going to live a long time. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Again, God is prophesying what's going to happen to this land. Abram is in a dream, and he's fearful, and God is meeting him there, and he's giving him these details about what's going to happen with his family. Again, God's come to Abram to give him assurance. Abram asks, how do I know? And so God's really letting him have it here. He's telling him all these things that are going to happen. And then he says, that his people are going to get into idolatry and they 're going to be judged and they 're going to be kicked out of the land and so much so that that the, the reason that God brings judgment against um, abram and uh, abram 's family and offspring is because they totally disobey God when they move into Canaan to the to the promised land instead of Obeying God, they become idol worshipers immediately. In fact, it's recorded in Second Chronicles. Let me show you. <clears throat> it's pretty, pretty gruesome. He says here in Second Chronicles, He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So we're talking about the Canaan people. Why did God pronounce Genocide on the Canaanites. Why did he do it? Because they were killing their own children. When a society starts killing children, that's, that's a bad sign. And I know one nation that's going to stand in judgment before the Lord for doing that very thing. But the Canaanites were so bad, they, they sacrificed their babies. And so Abram's offspring was doing the same thing. And that's why. That's why. God kicks him out of his land because God owns the land. This is God's land. It's his land. And and the children of Israel were not obeying God's uh, promises. They weren't obeying God's rules and ways. And so God kicks them out. And the people that occupy that land, God is going to judge them too. And he does. He, he's been judging them. And they have paid for uh, their, their uh Wrongs in that land. This is God's land. It doesn't belong to the Jews. It doesn't belong to the Arabs. It's a land that's been debated over for a long time. But God will allow his people to live there, but not wickedly. And If they live wickedly in his land, he's going to deal with them. Just like he deals with the Arabs that, de- that live wickedly. He deals with those people. So God owns the land, and God will punish the wicked. Now, here in verse 17... God confirms the covenant, and he's going to do it without Abram. Remember, Abram's sleeping. He's in a trance. God's revealed some things to him, but notice what happens. The covenant's confirmed by God in verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun set down, and it was dark, that behold, this is, this is an a, a Old Testament image of God here. There appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. That passed between the pieces, again, cutting the covenant. This is the covenant that's being the ceremony that I kind of shared with you and told you about. The Lord comes down in His glory, and the glory of the Lord is, is normally light and brilliant. Here it is a, a torch of fire and smoke. That's what. That's the image that goes through that. Through God doesn't have a body, so He shows up in this torch, this light, and this smoke. And he walks through to confirm this covenant here. And I told you that two people would have to walk through confirming this covenant between the two. But this covenant is one-sided. This is God's land. This is God's covenant with Abram. Abram, being a man, couldn't keep his side of the bargain. He'd never. So God does it himself. It's really an interesting thing. This means that this covenant is set in stone. It's in the name of God. It will be fulfilled. That's what it means. It doesn't depend on man because it rests completely on God. And again, it's really important to note that here in verse 18, there's a change. There's a change in speech. I want you to notice. Verse 18. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, and I want you to catch this, I have given this land. In previous places, go back to chapter 12 real quick. I will buzz through these. There's a few. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. Go to verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram said to your descendants, I will give this land. I, and it's a future thing. It's going to happen in the future. Genesis 13, 15, chapter 13, verse 15. For all the land which you will see, I will give you and your descendants forever. Genesis 13, verse 17. Arise, walk in the land through its length, its width, for I will give it to you. And now go back to chapter 15, verse 18. This is a done deal, folks, and I love this. Can't be changed. Notice what he says. I Have given this land to you. So after the covenant, after walking through in this ancient ceremony, this torch, this smoke, it's done. It's a done deal. It's done for eternity. It's done forever. This land. It's all about the land. And again, it's all about assurance, too. This is bringing assurance into the life of Abram here. I believe that God gives you and I assurance. And that way you need it day by day by day. And they're known as his promises. God gives you promises that bring assurance into your life. And I thank God for many of them. Romans 10, 13. I'm going to throw these up real quick. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. I don't have to worry about my salvation because I've called on the name of the Lord and I'm saved. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you do that all these things shall be added to you. Philippians 4:19. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. That's a great promise. You have any needs tonight? The word of God promises that he will provide those. Not your greeds, just your needs. And in Psalm 37, I like this one. This is one of my favorite. Delight yourself also in the Lord and notice he shall give you the what? Isn't that a neat thing? All of us have desires. All of us have hopes. All of us have dreams. All of us have things that we want to do. How do I attain those things? Well, I got to go to school to get an education. I got to do this. I got to buy the right car. I got to be in the right place. No. You you just delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in an an all-powerful God that can provide you everything that you would ever need. Do you do that? Did you light yourself in the Lord? See, Abram's learning that. I think we need to learn that as well. This covenant that God makes with Abram and, and his family and his successors and his family, it's cut in stone. This is, this is God saying, he said, I will do it. Now he says, I have done it. This is done. This is a done deal. He's always going to have this, regardless of what we do. God gives us promises. God tells us what he, All we have to do is stand. We just just stand. I love this promise. It's one of my favorite ones. You know it. John 10, 28. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. What more do you need for security as a believer? Gee, I wonder if I'm saved. I I don't know if I'm saved. I I wonder if God really loves me. I wonder if his grace is enough for covering my sin. Don't wonder anymore. There's your promise right there. I, I I, I give them eternal life. When you believe in Jesus Christ, he gives you eternal life, not partial eternal life. And you have assurance of heaven. And you have that hope. We had a brother in the church, one of our ushers for many, many years. His son died today. And, and he's, he's hurt and, and they're broken. But you know what? He told me today, he goes, I, my son Put his faith in Jesus. He didn't live a a perfect life, but he put his faith in Jesus. And so my hope is that I'm going to see my son one day in heaven. That's assurance. It doesn't matter what your trial is. It doesn't matter how hard it is. God gives you his word. You have his promises. Abram was fearful, but now his covenant, and God says, I've done it. And it's solid, and this land is, is a promise. Confirms our faith. It encourages us. It encouraged him as well. Now, this chapter ends with God describing the promised land, and I really want to get into this section. i got a little map and everything to show you, but this is what's known as the royal land grant. Abram was promised a son, and he was promised land. Those are the two covenants, Abrahamic covenants, very important. And I say this because there are Christians today that believe that that because the church was formed in Acts chapter 2, that our relationship to Israel is totally different. Now we're really Israel. We're truly Israel, not the people of Israel. That is not true. That is not biblical. What's true and biblical is that God gave this land, it's God's land, and he gave it to Abram and his descendants. It's God's land. And this this land grant, and God gives the dimensions right here. We have it in other places, I'll show you. But notice in verse 18. On the same day, the Lord made the covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. Here it is, from the river of Egypt to the great river of Euphrates. So there's way down south in Egypt to the river. That would be like the Nile. And then all the way to the river of the... Euphrates, remember the Euphrates and the Fertile Crescent? I've shown you the Fertile Crescent and how people would go from Ur, modern day Kuwait, up, up, up north in the Fertile Crescent, the valley where there's these three rivers, the Tigris, Euphrates River, run in there, and then up by Turkey and then down along the Mediterranean. That's the Fertile Crescent. Well, this, this river way over there in the east, that's the Euphrates River, all the way down south to, uh, to Egypt. And then the people that are living there, here they they are, described in verse 19, the Kenites, the Kenzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephium, and the Atticites, I never can get through without saying that, the Amorites, Canaanites, Gershites, and Jebusites, all these sites. So there's a lot of people here, and those people are defined in this regional area. Now let me show you this map. I've got two different maps. I have a colored map and on this colored map here, you can see modern-day Iran, your Saudi Arabia, Oman, you know, Dubai. This is the, whole, you know, the, the Middle East. Israel is right here. Right now, Israel. That's the people that God promised land to. They're in this little teeny little speck right here, this red zone. But God promised them all the way over to the re- river in Egypt all the way over to the Euphrates River, all this area is God's land. And they right now occupy this teeny tiny little, and all these Arab nations have been trying to push them into the sea. They hate them. Why? Because they're God's people. They're still God's people. Now, God will judge the wicked. His people are wicked. They're going to get judged. The Arabs are wicked. They're going to get judged. They really get judged. You should come Sunday night. Sunday night I'm teaching Isaiah chapter 36. And in Isaiah chapter 36, we have uh, Hezekiah and the judgment against those people because of their disobedience. They weren't trusting in God. Hezekiah was a good guy, and he was a good king, and he brought reform. But but they get judged because they're disobedient, and they're going to get kicked really hard by Sennacherib. God judges the wicked. doesn't matter if it's his people or other people. But here's this land, and I just want you to get the scope of it, this teeny little area that Israel occupies today, but the, this whole large area that's been given. I have another picture here. It's a black and white one. It kind of gives you the same picture there. You can see the modern-day Jordan, Syria, Damascus up there, Mediterranean Sea, Turkey way up above. So a whole area was the promised Land, promised land. It's owned by God. He gave it to Abram and his descendants there. Now this land has been it's been debated, it's been fought over, it's been occupied and lost over and over, primarily the Arab nations, mainly the people called Palestinians, that by the way never existed, they're not named in this list. If you look at the list. Canaanites, Canazites, Kadamites, Canaanites, Gershites. There's no Palestinians' name there. There's, they weren't there. Palestinians were planted by Arabs. They were planted in that area because they hate Jews. And now they hate us. You know, They're trying to cut our throats off. They're trying to kill us. The, the Arab nations, the Muslims. Very important. Again, this is why you need to understand this. And some Christians have capitulated. They say, well, you know, it's not that big a deal, the land. It's a big deal. God's torch and his flame walked through these animals that were split in half. And that was an eternal and forever covenant for this land to be for God's people. And guess what? Here's here's the neat thing. Guess what? Jesus is coming back a second time. You know what he's going to do? He's going to make war against who? The wicked. And... Many of the wicked today are those that are trying to kill us, like that guy that tried to kill at Ohio State or wherever that was this week. And last year, we're, we're coming to the, the one-year anniversary of that horrible, you know, um, assault by the, those two Muslim radical people here in San Bernardino that killed so many, right? Right two, three miles from our church here. This land... Is land that is owned by God. It's indisputable in the scriptures. It's not even written about in the Koran. It's only in the Bible. It's the promised land. It belongs to Israel. It belongs to God. And even though there's disputes about it, after 2,000 years, in 1947, the Jews come back to their land, miraculous, by the way, the UN recognizes them as a country. The Arabs and Egyptians immediately disputed. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. In 1967, there's a war. Remember Anwar Sadat? If you're old enough, you'll remember him. He's the Egyptian Muslim leader. He, he gains power and, and, and regional power, and he gets the, the the Arabs, the other Arab nations, and they, they say we don't want Israel there. We're going to go against him. I think it's all demonically inspired, and they're going to battle. So they 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 surround the nation, and they're going to they're going to push him into the sea. They're going to wipe him out and kill him. 1967. There's this this war. It's the interesting war. It Didn't last long. You remember how long it lasted? Six days. You have all the Arab nations coming up against this little teeny sliver nation with just a few people in it compared to the other nations. Hundreds, even thousands of aircraft are being primed and ready to go. So what does Air, Israel, the IDF, do? They, they launch a preemptive strike. They send all but 12 of their, their uh, fighter jets and bombers to Egypt and towards north to Syria. They blow up some 300 Egyptian planes on the ground. They, They destroy the air force in the north. They go back to their base. A ground war ensues, and it lasts for six days. And this teeny little country that are under the protection of Almighty God stays off the, the world power. And, and you remember, if, again, if you're my age, the Cold War. The Cold War was spurred. The Russians were supplying the Arabs. The Americans were supplying the Israelis with, with armament and all that. You remember all that stuff going on. If America stands with Israel and blesses God's people, we will be blessed. That's why I, I made a big deal about who you vote for as a leader of this country is very important. Do they support Israel? That's a, that's a major number one, major number one for your vote. It's not about your economics. And if you think it is, then you need to learn the scriptures. You need to understand these truths. This is God's land. And we, even today, need to do all we can to acknowledge that fact. And we, we've had some good presidents in the past that have put people in the UN, not in the last eight years, but I think maybe in the current administration, there's going to be some recognition of Israel, more, more, not dissing Israel. Obama dissed Israel over and over and over again. I believe that it could change. I, I don't know, but I, I believe it could change. We'll, we'll have to see. But the promised land, these wars, there was another war that, that was uh, in 1973 uh, against the, again, the Arabs and Egyptians. They attacked Israel up on the Golan Heights, called the Yom Kippur War. The Arabs went on the highest holiday of the Jews. It's Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. It's the most important holiday for every Jew. It's it's the Day of Atonement. The the Old Testament priest would go into the the Holy of Holies, and he would make sacrifice, sprinkle the blood for the atonement of the nation. And they still, today, they don't actually go behind the veil and do it on the the ark because they don't know where the ark is, but they still celebrate that. That day, very important to the Jews. Well, on that day, uh, back then in 1990, what was it? 90? They say 97? Oh, 70, okay. I have this right. 73, pardon me, 1973. Uh, within three days, Israeli forces forced or pushed back the Syrians in the north. And a week later, the Israeli Defense Force, these people fight, they know how to fight. And they pushed back these, even, even the assault from Egypt. And that was when Anwar Sadat retreated and brokered a deal with the UN over that whole thing. A ceasefire happened. Shortly thereafter, guess who got shot and killed? Anwar Sadat. He was at a, the, the Muslims hated the fact that he made this pact with Israel, and so they killed him. I, I mean, these, the, the people, the satanic movement behind the Arabs, it's, insane. If you really want to understand it, you have to know what the scripture says about this is God's land. People on God's side, God will protect. People not on God's side, they're, they're going to have problems, the wicked people. But both people will be uh, judged because of their wickedness. So Genesis 15, it's all about this everlasting covenant. And in Genesis 26, we'll get to it, but let me show you just on the screen real quick The Lord reminds Abraham's son. He has a son, finally. And God reminds his son through Sarah that he's going to inherit this land. Here it is, Genesis 26, 3. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And then years later, after Moses delivers the Israelites out of Egypt into this promised land and then divides. It, Moses doesn't get there. Aaron takes the people in. And then all the land's divided between the tribes of Israel. But that, that's in Numbers. In Numbers you have the boundaries of Canaan's land. Again, Numbers 34. Here it is on the screen. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you come to the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan, To its boundaries. And then again, if you read the rest of Numbers 34, you'll get the boundaries that we described in the pictures that I showed you earlier. So here's the conclusion. The chapter begins with Abraham in fear, wondering if God forgot his promises. But now God's reassured him. He says, You're going to have a son, you're going to have land. They do this elaborate ceremony of splitting animals in half. God goes between them, saying, This is my covenant. I'm going to keep my word, and I'm going to do this, and and all nations are going to. And then then here's here's the beautiful truth. Jesus comes back the second time. Guess where he comes? To Jerusalem. He sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. The mountain splits in half. That allows those held captive, the the believers in the city walls, they, they escape, and Jesus goes in there, and he destroys with a sword by himself. With a sword that comes from his mouth, all the unbelievers, they just, they're just gone. It happens. Really. The battle of Armageddon happens really fast. In fact, we read about that last Sunday night in Isaiah chapter 34. Uh, you can go back and look at that if you want to. Uh, Devon taught that last Sunday. It was really, really good. But Isaiah prophesied about that as well. Um, Jesus will rule for 1,000 years. He'll rule the world with perfect peace and righteousness, a utopia that's never been had. It's the utopia that the Jews even look forward to today. They look forward to the Messiah coming. They just missed him the first time. They missed Jesus. Their eyes have been blinded because of their unbelief. Many Jews during the seven-year tribulation period will turn and come to Christ, and they'll be martyred for their faith in Christ. The, the, the revelation makes that very, very clear. But these scriptures talk about the land; it's assurance to Abram here. It's Abram's faith; he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's the question for all of us: Well, how's your faith? Have you put your faith in God? This God that we put our faith in is like no other. He's all powerful. He's able. His names reveal his character. His ways are far beyond yours and mine. We just put our faith in him, and he does it all. My prayer as a pastor and and even speaking to you, some of you I know, um, some of you I don't, is that you put your faith in Christ because only by believing in Jesus will you have your sins forgiven, and you'll have a relationship with God through Christ, and you'll be saved. And one day... Whether we die and are brought back, First Thessalonians chapter four, the dead in Christ will rise first, and those which are alive and remain will be caught up together, raptured. Whether you're caught up or or you're uh, uh, re- uh, what's the word? You're redeemed. You're made alive. You're, the dead is brought back. What's the? I can't think of the word. I hate that. I'll remember at the end here. Yeah. we will be with the Lord and we're going to come back with him and we're going to rule and reign for 1,000 years in this perfect utopia it's all about the land happens right there God made a covenant his word is true you can believe it I hope you do tonight let's pray father thank you for the truth of your word I pray that that uh, I have not confused but enlightened these your people And that we, your people, would understand the covenant and and its importance. I pray, Lord, for any here that have never put their faith in Christ. That's what it takes. When you believe in Jesus Christ, it's accounted to you as righteousness, just like Abram, just like we believe in Christ today, and we have the righteousness of Christ. Father, I, I just pray for our town. I pray for this area. I pray that the word would go out from these, your people, about Jesus and his love, about forgiveness of sin, about the great grace that you have available for all who will believe. Lord, may we be a people that live it, believe it, teach it, share it, proclaim it, the gospel, believing on Jesus Christ and and being saved. Lord, do the work that only you can do and bring many into your kingdom. And we'll give you thanks and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.